Hi, this is Victoria Nolley, and here with me is Professor Peter Cameron and Braden Mallon. Uh, today we're going to discuss uh, on international arbitration and we'll have two series of videos. The first one is dedicated to students and those who don't have a lot of knowledge with, with regard to international arbitration. And then here we'll talk about uh, the set of arbitration, what to consider when uh, drafting an arbitration clause, and also we'll talk about the typical steps in an arbitration. And then the second series is dedicated to practi practitioners and experts. And in here we'll have three videos. The first one is we'll focus on what to consider when choosing an arbitral tribunal. The second one will discuss more on the developments in energy disputes. And the last one will talk about the limitations and challenges in international arbitration. But before we start, I'd like Professor Cameron to introduce himself and then Braden will also introduce himself. Hello, uh, I'm Peter Cameron, a professor and director of the Centre for Energy, Petroleum, Mineral Law and Policy at Dundee. Um, I've done quite a lot of expert work in arbitral proceedings and also sat as an arbitrator. So it's a great pleasure for, for me to be sitting here and with Victoria on, on addressing this important topic. Uh, thank you, Professor Cameron. Um, Brandon, would you like to introduce yourself? Yes, thank you, Victoria. I'm Brandon Malone. I'm a lawyer uh, and an arbitrator based in Edinburgh and also in London. Uh, I have my own practice, Brandon Malone and & Company, and I work with Quadrant Chambers. Uh, I am the chairman of the Scottish Arbitration Centre uh, and also together with Peter, we are co-directors of, of the International Centre for Energy Arbitration. Uh, thank you very much for the introduction. So the first video, we want to talk about international arbitration as an introduction. Why international arbitration in this era? Well, there's been quite a lot of research in this. We've got quite a lot of data about that, people's preferences. Uh, one of the most important reasons, if not the most important reason, is international enforceability. And that's a major advantage of arbitration over litigation. Uh, with the arbitration regime, we have the New York Convention, uh, which is an international treaty, which means that where there is an arbitral award in one state, then it can be enforced in any other convention state. Now, you contrast that with litigation, and uh, there isn't this comprehensive system of reciprocal enforcement. So the award of one court might not be enforced in the, the courts of another country, and that's obviously a difficult problem if the assets are based there. Now, there are some moves to try and address that. There's the Hague Convention and that kind of thing, but it's not widely adopted. Okay. Uh, so that's the number one reason. Uh, another reason is that uh, often parties are keen to avoid the courts of certain countries. Okay. Um, so uh, someone might want to invest in a state, but they're unhappy with the courts in that state because they're not reliable. Um, there might be corruption in those courts. So the international arbitration regime allows them to invest in that country knowing that there is a, a supranational system that will allow them to uh, enforce the contract, enforce their rights, enforce their investment uh, and, and protect their investment. Um, whether you, whether you consider that a good thing or not, I suppose depends on your point of view, because it does mean that countries that may not have respect for the rule of law and an effective court system can attract investment. Well, that's obviously good uh, for the investors, 
uh, it's good for the governments who are seeking to attract that in investment. Uh, there's an argument it's also good for the rule of law, uh, but I suppose the, the, the reverse argument to that as well, if, if these countries couldn't get investment mm. uh, because there wasn't an effective regime, uh, then maybe they'd have to bring along their courts and advance the, the rule of law. Uh, but I think the general consensus is that the international arbitration regime is bringing uh, the, the rule of law to a, a lot of states where it doesn't currently uh, hold sway. Uh, a reason related to that is neutrality. You might have a situation where the uh, states are very comfortable with the courts in either state, but uh, or, the, or, or, the, or the contracting parties rather, uh, but they don't want to give the other side a home turf advantage. Uh, so they like the idea of saying, well, uh, you don't have to come to my court, I don't have to come to yours, we'll go to a neutral venue. Uh, and that could be a neutral court, but that's mm. more complicated. So the, the system of arbitration is already there to allow for uh, a, a, a neutral venue uh, where neither side has an advantage. Uh, another reason is flexibility. Mm. Um, court procedure can be quite rigid. Um, it's set out in, in detailed rules. It's a very formal environment. Uh, it's not very business-like, you know, people are in wigs and gowns and speaking Latin and all this kind of thing that you associate uh, and, and, and it's, it's perhaps not exactly like it is on television but, but quite often it can be uh, that way. Um, whereas arbitration has scope for being much more commercial business people sitting around a table uh, and uh, it's a, I wouldn't say it's a, a necessarily a friendlier environment but it's oh. certainly one people are more used to. Okay. Um, a big reason that parties give for choosing arbitration is party autonomy mm. in the process. So you're able to uh, select arbitrators. Uh, the traditional or the, or the prevalent way of doing it in, in big international arbitrations is that each side will select an arbitrator and they will between them appoint uh, a chair. Uh, now the arbitrators of course are meant to be entirely neutral and to decide yeah. uh, in a neutral way. But it's that advantage of being able to appoint someone who uh, will understand your jurisdiction, where you're coming from, your industry, for example. That's an advantage uh, people like. Um, another important feature of arbitration is confidentiality. Uh, and that is a reason, particularly in-house counsel, uh, perhaps even more so than agents, really value. It's a private process. In most states, it's a confidential process, uh, and if you uh, if you seat your arbitration in Scotland, for example, we have a very strict confidentiality regime, an opt-out confidentiality regime, and that is what is favoured uh, by uh, in-house counsel, in, particularly in energy companies. Mm. Uh, and, and finally, I think uh, a, a big reason is finality. Uh, if you go to court, you can get appeal after appeal, and that necessarily lengthens the process and adds to expense. Uh, with international arbitration, you can of course challenge if there is some sort of technical breach of jurisdiction or if there's bias or corruption, the usual reasons you would expect. Yeah. But by and large, their decision on the merits and on the law yeah. is final. There's not usually going to be an appeal stage. And so that shortens the process and it gives certainty. All right. 
Uh, thank you very much, Brad. And Professor Kamer, do you want to add something? Well, I, I, I agree with all the, the points that uh, Brandon Malone is making there. Um, so I, let me just add a few, very few points. One is, is, as he said, investors like to have the comfort of knowing that international arbitration is available um, with respect to their investments, particularly if they cover large, uh, long-term, complex projects in which a dispute may indeed occur. So, I mean, that's one hopes that the dispute isn't going to happen, but if it does happen, you should have planned well in advance for, for a procedure. So, I mean, that's probably the, the first thing, the, the comfort of having something. Secondly, I think one should be aware that international arbitration can be provided through the contract. It can also be provided through an international treaty. That's where a government has made a treaty with a bilateral investment treaty with another country um, in which it says that investors from that country um, can, if they so wish, make claims against it at a future date uh, in the event of certain circumstances happening. So you could find that you have an, arbit an international arbitration occurring on the basis of one of these general treaties which could be a bilateral treaty. It could be, I don't know, it could be Nigeria and Morocco, for example, within Africa, or it could be um, a multilateral treaty like the Energy Charter Treaty. Um, if you're a party to that, then various kinds of arbitration procedures are, are possible. Um, and I think probably the, the only other point I would add to, 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 to what Brandon has already said is that um, you don't, you, you always want to accompany your arbitration procedures with um, not just the comfort to an investor but the comfort to both parties that if they can, they can settle their dispute without either going to arbitration or even when the arbitration is continuing, they can bring it to a stop by re reaching an agreement that, that keeps them both happy. Um, and one should always be trying to encourage people to do that, uh, that, that disputes are most unfortunate, they're not good news, and one should be trying to bring them to an end at the, at the earliest possible opportunity, if one can. I think that's all I would really add to the, the very good points that Brandon's made. Okay, thank you very much, Professor Cameron.